0: Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate
1: portfolio. Welcome back to episode 94 of the Canadian Real Estate Investor podcast, where today we are talking about cap rates and... Wait, Dan, there's nothing else on the list here. We're only talking cap rates? Yes, that is correct. We are literally only talking about cap rates today. And you are confident that we can fill a full episode, an almost an hour long, just talking about cap rates.
0: Yeah, I mean, first we would explain what they are. And then we'll go through some examples of cap rates for different property types and cities and why that's important for an investor to know in their decision making process. And then we'll explain how to calculate a cap rate. I could probably honestly talk about cap rates for like two to three hours. I absolutely love cap rates. (laughs)
1: Okay, well, we only have 45 minutes, so you won't have to deal with Dan talking about cap rates for three hours. However, we may do an extended three-hour Joe Rogan-style episode strictly on cap rates if people want us to. Um, And we should probably introduce ourselves here as well, right? Yeah. Uh,
0: Daniel Foch, rare real estate uh, broker, investor, and
1: general lover of cap rates. Nick Hill, mortgage agent at Land Bank Advisors. Feels good to say. I also like cap rates, but probably not as much as Dan does. So capitalization rates or
0: cap rates are a fundamental tool for real estate investors in assessing the value and potential return on investment for income producing properties. Cap rates provide a measure of the property's profitability by comparing its net
1: operating income or NOI to its market value. The key value of a cap rate is the ability to quickly gauge the relative attractiveness of different investment opportunities. So really good for napkin math, as you've probably heard us mention before. Investors can use cap rates to compare properties in the same market or across different locations and different property types. A lower cap rate indicates higher demand and potentially higher property value, well, a higher cap rate suggests lower demand and potentially lower property value. This helps investors prioritize and identify potentially lucrative investments. So cap rates also
0: play a vital role in estimating property value. By dividing the property's NOI or net operating income by the cap rate, investors can estimate its market value. For example, if you have a property that has an NOI of 100,000 and the prevailing cap rate in that market is 5% for an exa- as an example, so you know this is a five cap market, the estimated value would be 2 million, divided by 0.05. The valuation approach is particularly useful for income-producing properties when the income generated is a primary factor in determining the value of the property.
1: Yeah, exactly, Dan. And and cap rates also provide insights into market trends and, and risk levels. In a stable or growing market, cap rates tend to be lower as demand increases property values.
0: However, if cap rates in a market are rising, it may increase decreasing demand or increase risk in that market. Investors can use this information to assess market conditions, evaluate potential risks, and make informed decisions.
1: Now, on the same token, cap rates often go down during a bull market or a period of growth, right? Remember, we did an episode on bull and bear markets. And this is called when a cap rate goes down during a bull market, that's called cap rate compression. So that from my perspective is why you know we see
0: in a lot of cases we see capital appreciation in investment properties as well because cap rates go down and and all properties appreciate in value. not just speculative assets appreciate in value um, during these bull markets. Um, and we'll get to that a little bit because there is almost like a channel and, and the Collier's cap rate report, which we are going to pull some data from on different asset classes and different cities. They have a chart on the front page that shows cap rates, national average cap rates beside 10 year bond yields. Um, and so, and, and they kind of track each other a little bit. And then they, they, they haven't actually, interestingly enough, they haven't been as tight as they are currently. Uh, Since 2008, which is a little ominous, but Hmm. and so there might be something happened back then. Yeah. And so we might need to see a bit of a correction in investor expectations or cap rate expectations um, to kind of match what's happening in the market today. So cap rates are crucial in determining the potential return on investment. By comparing a cap rate to the investor's required rate of return, they can assess whether the property is likely to meet their investment goals. If a cap rate is higher than the required rate of return, the investment may be considered attractive, while a lower cap rate may signal a less favorable opportunity. As a general rule, and if you get nothing else from this podcast, listen to this, a property's cap rate needs to be higher than its mortgage rate, otherwise it's probably not going to work out.
1: Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. That concludes the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but that that's that's right, Dan. I mean, it's it's simple, right? So the cap rates provide real estate investors with valuable insights into their profitability, value, market trends, potential returns of those income producing properties. And I'm going to say that again: income producing properties by using cap rates, investors can efficiently compare opportunities, estimate property value, evaluate market conditions, and make informed investment decisions. The real question is here, Dan, how do we calculate a cap rate? Well, I know how you calculate a
0: cap rate, and many of our other trained, uh, efficient systems investors calculate a cap rate, which is using a platform called Lendlord.io and their deal analyzer tool, a little shameless plug there. But for if, if you want to look
1: like if you want to look like a genius in front of your customers or clients very quickly pull up landlord and you can start telling them about cap rates and IRR's and all the other yeah, you even things get, without having to uh you know bust out your big performa, and you even get
0: a uh, a list of more sophisticated metrics than cap rates on that one which we'll get to all of those later I think but we're going to start small here and work our way up eventually we'll be doing episodes on Probably IRR, I think, deserves its own episode. Maybe cash on cash as well. Yeah. Um, so, calculating a cap rate is a straightforward process. It involves just three steps and two pieces of information uh, the property's net operating income and its market value or price. So, here's how to calculate a cap rate. Determine the net operating income, the NOI or net operating income represents the income generated by the property after deducting operating expenses, but before accounting for financial costs and taxes. To calculate the NOI, you subtract all operating expenses from the property's total income, such as rental income.
1: Okay, dang, that's good stuff. I know you got the three-step thing going on, but could we interject here to try to make this a little more helpful and maybe help our audience implement this stuff, maybe make like step 1A, how do you calculate NOI or your net operating income?
0: Yeah, okay, we can do that. Um,
1: Actually, you know what? Since you asked, why don't you do it, Nick? Oh, geez, thanks. Um, You know what, Dan, I, I thought you never asked. Here we go. So calculating net operating income involves determining the income generated by a property while subtracting its operating expenses. So here's how to calculate NOI. You calculate the gross income. So you start by adding up all the income generated by the property. This typically includes rental income. Maybe you have parking fees. Maybe there's some revenue from laundry in the basement. So you got some coin laundry. And, you know, there might be other sources. Maybe you're renting out a garage. You add all of that gross income up. Step two, you deduct vacancy and credit losses. So vacancy and credit losses account for potential periods where units or spaces in the property may be unoccupied or unable to generate income. Estimate this loss as a percentage of the gross income and subtract it from the total. So for example, if the estimated vacancy is 5% and the gross income is $100,000, the deduction would be 5,000 or 100,000 times 0.05.
0: Now, you know, we, we've discussed this a couple of times on the podcast. What are different vacancy rates across different cities? But if you don't know and you are trying to find a figure, Google it. And a lot of cities have this from their economic development department, CMHC reports on a lot of different municipalities. Um, but, and usually the data you're going to get is higher than it should be. Like right now, most markets are below 2% vacancy in Canada because we have this thing called the housing crisis. Um, but I, I would, <laughs> I would typically use the piece of data that you're going to get from Google because it's going to be a very conservative estimator. Um, Anyway, I'll let you get back to it.
1: Step number three, we calculate the effective gross income. So subtract the vacancy and credit losses that we just spoke about from the gross income and you get the effective gross income. So using the previous example, if the gross income is $100,000 and the vacancy and credit losses deduction is $5,000. The effective gross income would be $95,000. This is where it gets pretty complicated, right? That's $100,000 minus $5,000. So we end up with $95,000 in effective gross income. Did you get a, Try P- to keep H- up you a here. PhD? I'm not going to answer that um, because that in my mind immediately went to the gather there. Um, <laughs> Determinating operating expenses is step number four. So, what you want to do here is identify and sum up all the necessary operating expenses associated with the property. These expenses may include property management fees, property taxes, insurance, maintenance costs, utilities, repairs, and any other expenses directly related to operating the property. Now, a pause here for a second. Yeah, so and you go ahead and then I'll add what I gotta say. I was just gonna say I always like to to pump those numbers up just a little bit. Um never, you don't want to ever come in low on utilities, repairs especially, right? Repairs can be a small thing, like hey, like, you know, the the window's not working properly. It could also be, hey, the furnace isn't working properly. You really wanna make sure that you've accounted for uh the actual amount of money that you probably need to spend. In those expenses. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah,
0: I was just going to say, like, it also depends on your experience as an operator. And, um, and in, in a lot of cases, you have to sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement to get a lot of this information, get the accounting statements from a seller to get a real idea of NOI. And you often see properties marketed like, Oh, this is the cap rate. But then when you tear into their accounting, it's not even close to what they're saying. So, (laughs) you know, most. When we're underwriting deals, I'll be looking, like, operating on, on the assumption that w- your expenses are 30% of your gross. So I've seen some people, um, underwrite as if they're 50%, which I think is a bit extreme. And I've seen some people underwrite, um, as if they're 10%, which I think is far too lenient. So, um, if you're just trying to guess, and I think actually, landlord uses a thirty percent in their tool, right, as an automatic. Mm-hmm. If you're just trying to guess and get an idea, um, thirty, I think, is a decent number to kind of get uh, a, a good head start on on those calculations while you're waiting to get the real numbers from the seller agent or the the seller who's selling you the property and trying to c- communicate with you what their expenses are.
1: Yeah, great insights, Dan. So let's just do a quick refresh here. One, we've calculated the gross income two we've deducted the vacancy and losses that has now given us step three which is our calculated effective gross income then we have determined the operating expenses now number five we can calculate the net operating income the noi so we subtract the total operating expenses from the effective gross income the resulting figure is your net operating income your noi for instance, if the effective gross income going back to that additional example is 95,000 and the total operating expenses amount to 45,000, the NOI would be 50,000. That's 40 that's 95,000 minus 45,000. So we know that that property that we've used here as the example has a NOI of 50k. Now It's important. Net operating income is a crucial metric in real estate investment analysis as it provides insight into the property's income generating potential before considering financing costs and taxes. NOI helps investors evaluate the property's profitability and compare it to other investment opportunities. Okay. Wow. That was impressive. It's almost like you like NOI as much as I like cap rates. (laughs) <laughs> um, i'm gonna quote drake here and say you know as long as the outcome is income sorry did you just give somebody else credit for a quote i you know so that was actually uh I, I ghost wrote it i don't want to get into the details here but uh yeah we'll give we'll give drake and we'll give drake a little shout out on that one <laughs> So now that you've outdone me with
0: your thorough calculation of the NOI, I'll get back to the boring old cap right now. So from the top, we have our NOI or net operating income that Nick just gave us. This represents the income generated by the property after deducting those operating expenses. Then we want to determine the market value or the price of the property. And usually you're using the listing price or the asking price, unless you're getting a price at which you think you can get it or you've already been given an idea from the agent. So the market value is the estimated worth of the property based on its income potential. This could be determined by recent comparable sales, professional appraisals, or market research, or a realtor, or whatever the hell the seller wants to price it at, um, because <laughs> that's the kind of market we have in Canada sometimes. Um, then you divide the NOI, the net operating income, by the market value. So NOI divided by market value. Once you have the NOI and the market value, divide the NOI by the market value to calculate the cap rate. The formula is cap rate equals NOI divided by market value.
1: Yeah, great stuff, Dan. You can also do this backwards to create a rule for yourself. So if you were just an investor and you only wanted to pay let's say no more than a six percent cap rate for a property that's that's one of your fundamentals you can just figure out the price of the property and say i'll only buy this one million dollar property if it has an noi of sixty thousand dollars so funny the six cap thing because we were talking about making hats,
0: right? Like, um, Oh yeah. We're making qualifiers. <laughs> so we're working on, we're working on merch right now. Um, funny merch though, people. Yeah, this is going to be, be good, good, good stuff. Yeah, it'll be good. It's not going to be bad for sure. Um, and, and part of it is like caps, like their hats, but they're, it's like a six cap. It's good. It's really good. I can't explain it. You got to see it, right? Six cap, five cap, four cap. I mean, I hope hopefully nobody's buying the fives and the fours. And what it'll do is actually, whichever one sells the most, like if everybody's buying seven caps, then we know the target range of all of our listeners <laughs> is seven cap. Um, anyway, that's basically what I try and do. And six is pretty reasonable for me. I won't look at a property less than six. I'm always trying to get over seven, but... Mm-hmm. Um, all you, then all you really need to do is know the price
1: and the NOI to determine if the deal is worthwhile. Now, the problem I've found, and, and Dan, you touched on this, is, is getting a clear or even sometimes, you know, a legitimate NOI from the sellers or the realtors or, or whoever. Well, totally. That's why you and I get paid the big bucks. Wait,
0: you're you're getting paid big bucks? Oh shit! I shouldn't have mentioned that one. Sorry, <laughs> I wasn't supposed to tell you that. It's uh, it's important to note uh, that cap rates are they're variant, and it depends on the location, property type, market conditions, and investor preferences. We talked about this a lot. Investing is qualitative. Some people want a little bit more speculative value, and that doesn't get reflected in a cap rate very well. Um, additionally, they should not be the sole factor in determining the viability of an investment. I almost feel like I'm reading a disclaimer here now, but the <laughs> kind other of factors, are. not financial yeah, advice. I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and other factors such as future growth, potential financing costs, market trends should all be considered when evaluating an investment opportunity, especially in Canada, where a lot of people do make the good money on capital appreciation. And I think we're kind of going through a down leg right now and the end of a cycle and that opportunity for capital, long-term capital appreciation and growth is going to reappear,
1: right? Yeah. Agreed. Now it is important to remember that cap rates provide a snapshot of the property's current income potential. They don't take into account the potential changes or future appreciation, but properties with good cap rates can appreciate as the income goes up. That's your NOI. Right. So if you have rents go up or, you know, put a couple more laundry machines in there and you're bringing in more income, you're generating more money, the cap rate can go up or if the cap rate goes down due to cap rate compression during those growth markets, which we had talked about earlier in the show.
0: Yeah. And that's why you'll often see people talk about a stabilized cap rate versus a purchase cap rate. So we bought it at a four cap, but, you know, there's a lot of rental upside or they did a cash for keys program and, you know, turned over a number of the suites. And they re-stabilized the unit within a year and it was now at a six or seven cap. And a lot of professional, like really, really big operators are doing this um, or they'll turn over or whatever it is. Um, the other piece that you mentioned is cap rate compression. That's basically when investors have lower return expe- expectations during strong markets. For example, during the peak of the market last year. Investors were buying properties in Toronto at like a three and a half percent cap rate. I mean, I think we've even mentioned on this from some of the Collier's cap rate reports, like I think Vancouver multifamily is in the twos or threes.
1: It, it, um, it was at a certain point. Yeah.
0: And and now the same properties, not in Vancouver, but in, in Toronto would be selling at a five and a half percent. Like We're seeing stuff transact in the fives. Yeah. So, and, I mean,
1: if if yeah. that example property had an NOI of, of 50,000. Today, you could get a million dollars for a 5% cap rate, but last year, you could get a $1.4 million for a 3.5% cap rate. So I guess the next real question, and I think, think that we should cover here, Dan, is what is a good cap rate? Yeah, so I'm mean, going to have
0: to give the cop out answer. I mean, I think I've made it clear what, what I'm looking at. I, I, I typically won't get out of bed for uh, a deal that is less than a six and I'm not even really looking at it if it's, if it's less than a six. And I do get kind of frustrated when people send me deals and say that they're a six and then I have to go dive into the numbers and they're not. Um,
1: wouldn't so it be nice if that. someone sent you a six and it turned out to be like a seven and a half that never yeah. happens yeah
0: well i mean there are properties that are underrepresented for sure or marketed improperly i mean there's a lot of opportunity for that stuff when you have an agents who probably shouldn't be representing investors trying to represent investors you see this more in the smaller markets um and there's just an inefficiency in pricing as a result of it um but it, look, the answer is it varies from investor to investor. A lot of the guys that I'm working with that are buying properties in Toronto are buying; um they're they're putting a lot of cash into the deal, so they're still cash flow positive because they're at you know fifty or sixty percent loan to value. So you know they've they've got fifty percent mortgage on the property, but they're buying it in in the four high fours now. Maybe they, but they were buying threes and fours, but it's because they thought that policy was going to change and they'd be able to add value to the property and they weren't wrong or they felt that the housing crisis was going to become so severe that they would see uh, massive rent growth. And so there's so many different factors. It varies from investor to investor and from property to property and from city to city. In general, the higher the cap rate, the greater the return, but often greater the
1: risk. Yeah, exactly. Some elements that also affect a property's cap rate are, are hyper specific. So for example, a gas station may have a different cap rate based on which side of the street it's on. So on route to work or on your way home, but larger forces are usually at play here. Yeah, I guess now would be a good time to provide sort of a scope of
0: what cap rates look like for different asset classes. Sorry, different
1: asset classes. I hit puberty there Um, and cities. For sure. So we've pulled a bunch of uh, samples. This is from uh, our friends at uh, Collier's and uh, Cushman Wakefield that they put out these wonderful reports that Dan and I uh, read along with other real estate nerds here. So because you don't have to, we'll do it for you. So here's a couple different uh, examples of some cap rates uh, from different asset classes across the country.
0: Yeah, we, you should probably read these cause it's probably like one of the few things where it's really hard to digest in audio format. Um, and, but it is like, you know, they have some great visuals, like the charts that show what cap rates are. So maybe Google them and they come out on a quarterly basis and we try and cover them. But w- like once, once you're shopping and you want to get an idea for maybe what market you want to invest in or whatever, I would say just Google these Collier's cap rate report, CBRE, Cushman, whatever. Um, some of the, again, some of the smaller markets don't have them, but definitely worth looking at. Great stuff.
1: For sure. So let's start here with office. Now we see office at as low as 3.5% in Vancouver, but also as high as 9.25% in Calgary. When we look at industrial, we see, you know, four to five percent in Toronto, which saw a major need for more industrial property. And we'll see that. in again, Montreal and Vancouver will will be fairly similar. You'll see about a four to five percent cap rate. Um, But industrial markets in places like Edmonton were seen as high as seven percent. But yeah,
0: but still not as high as the office markets in some of those, you know, in the Alberta markets. And then you get to like retail, you know, five to six in markets like Toronto, um, but as high as six to 7.5% cap
1: rate range in markets like Halifax and Kitchener-Waterloo. For sure. And when we say retail, we don't just mean like H&M or or something, right? It's It's broader. So like think strip mall for instance and and even that's broken down so if you look at for instance a strip mall with an anchor tenant think you know when you go to get your groceries at whatever large supermarkets there what is in the surrounding plaza so in something like that we're seeing between you know in and around four percent in toronto all the way up to 7.5 percent in halifax a strip mall with oh sorry that is a strip mall with an acre tenant a strip mall without an acre tenant we see between 4.75 uh in vancouver on the low end and then all the way up to eight and a half percent cap rate in halifax and then a power center can range from five percent in toronto all the way up to seven point two five percent in calgary it's kind of funny like you know we mentioned the on the range at the beginning
0: when i was talking about it the up to seven and a half is in a market like halifax and then 8.5 you just mentioned for strip mall and in a Halifax being at the top end, like, I guess it's just maybe, and, 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 again, these data points point to something like maybe Halifax is a massively over retailed market. I know. Cause I know in the multifamily side, it's uh, it's very competitive on the cap rate side and, and multifamily is obviously a very different asset class. Um, mm-hmm. And, and these, so, so these differences just really, they're telling a story about where the demand is on the, you know, on an asset by asset basis, because there are markets where you as an individual could buy or you as a listener to this podcast could buy a strip mall or could buy a multifamily property. And you now you know what you can expect as a result of um, the differences in those different asset classes.
1: So maybe let's jump over to multifamily here as well, Nick. For sure. My favorite asset class uh, because it's currently all I own. Uh, um, So we're looking at Toronto again, not, not great here. Obviously Dan would not get out of bed to do a deal in Toronto at this point because we're looking at three to 4% cap rates for multifamily in Toronto.
0: Yeah. I I would say that, that that's kind of your larger stuff as well. So you will often see a little bit of a discount for small multifamily. I think small multifamily is, super inefficiently priced by comparison to what your what your institutional size assets are trading for and there's you know they they're buying scale so you know they and there's way more buyers or way more money let's say chasing in the institutional side but you could probably be getting like a smaller like a fourplex stuff that institutions won't touch for a better cap rate than that in toronto i think now so possibility that you will get out of bed maybe i i would stabilize cap i think we could get i could get over a six in toronto for the right thing right now with like again it would have to be it would have to be like a bill 23 or like one of this new fourplex rule deals mm. which you know we've talked about on the show that that new policy where you can put 40 units in anything in toronto if i bought you know you know like in the annex right like all those houses in the annex by u of t they're all fourplexed or more um if I was buying McMansions in Toronto and, and cutting them up into four units, I could probably get over six stabilized. If I was really, really, if everything went exceptionally well and, and I'm not, nobody emailed me saying let's do that. Cause I don't know if I would do it as a, <laughs> as a GP. Um, but I would, I would happily help somebody who's qualified or has a, who has a background in contracting, especially to, to execute that kind of deal. Cause I think it's possible. Um, Again, Montreal, 45 sorry, 4 to 5% um,
1: on the multifamily side. Yeah, it doesn't get much better in Vancouver. We actually see it drop below 3% all the way down to 2.75% and, and kind of maxing out at, at 4%. I think you've got Calgary 475 to 5.75%, so a little bit on the higher end on the multifamily side. Edmonton is, is fairly similar between 4 and 5.5%. It's actually crazy like Ed- that
0: Edmonton's tighter on the multifamily side than Calgary. I know, I know. Eh? Um, Ottawa at 4 to 5% on the multifamily side for a cap rate. So this, again, where you could expect to transact and where you could expect your return to land. Um, and you can see, again, multifamily cap rates way lower than... like They're kind of closer to your industrial cap rates and both of those are very competitive assets right now. Lots of money chasing them. Uh, very low vacancy rates and very stable and predictable. And so... That's why the returns are are low. That's why the cap rates are low because they're highly competitive. Um, what is probably a, a very interesting and, and volatile asset class, Nick, that you're going to get to now, which I think is a cool reflection and one of my favorite asset classes to kind of watch in this sort of post-COVID
1: world is hotels. Yeah. this I mean, this hits home, especially for us right now, Dan, because we actually have a, a hotel client and, and we're working in that space a little bit. So, why don't I I do one, you do one, and, and we'll we'll cover the country with with cap rates right here. So, and this is uh, from our friends at Cushman and Wakefield on, on their cap report from Q4 of 2022, looking at full service hotels. So in Calgary, we see cap rates between seven and eight and a half percent. Edmonton, seven and a half to nine percent. Halifax, seven and a half to nine percent.
0: Kitchener Waterloo, seven and a half to nine and a half percent. Montreal, 7
1: to 8.5. Ottawa, 7 to 8.5. Toronto, obviously a drop down. We're starting at five and we kind of maxed out about six and a half. Vancouver, the same, five to six and a half. Victoria, six to seven and a
0: half. And finally, the hotel cap rate for Winnipeg is
1: eight to nine and a half percent. That's actually the best in the country. That's better than Halifax, which, is, which also hits 9%. But uh, looks like we're opening some hotels in, in Winnipeg, Dan. <laughs> Go for it, buddy. Um, so the purpose of this exercise was to show you that there are different cap rates in different cities and asset classes.
0: So a cap rate is a valuation metric, and it's important to know what your expectations should be for that type of property and within each city, because that's what you're benchmarking to or comparing to. So you want to compare against... You know, now you know what multifamily cap rates are in Toronto. And if you're a Toronto investor, if you're a Edmonton investor and you're, you want to know, okay, if I'm getting this deal at a six cap and Edmonton multifamily selling from a four to five and a half cap, then I'm doing okay. I'm not, I'm
1: not out of line with what the market is doing. So a couple points before we get to our deal of the day here, which actually, funnily enough, is in Winnipeg. It is not a hotel, but it still has a pretty good cap rate. Uh, This is a little excerpt from, I was going to say our friends, but we don't have a contact at JP Morgan, little known bank out of the state's JP Morgan Um, and the impact of interest rates on cap rates. Pretty relevant conversation right now. High inflation and corresponding interest rates can impact commercial real estate cap rates as interest rates rise. So do cap rates. Cap rates tend to have a narrower range than interest rates, particularly over the short term. For example, if a building's cap rate is 4.3%, it may only rise to 4.6% depending on economic conditions, the property supply and demand balance in its given market.
0: And in recent months, the relationship between interest rates and cap rates hasn't followed a one-to-one relationship. And this is where we're talking about that lag that's mentioned in the Collier's cap rate report where, you know, typically you saw these asset valuations. And again, it's it's kind of important to to know because these assets all exist in private markets. So it's not like public markets where you're getting mark to market pricing on them every day. And actually Simone from um TCI, the Canadian investor podcast, the Our Podfathers. podfathers. Yes, yeah, Simone and I are doing um a full actually i think it's gonna be a two-part episode about commercial real estate
1: yeah I'm um, we'll do what one,
0: one part on each show um but talking about wh- why it's difficult for these valuation issues to show up because you're hearing about offices getting decimated in the states you know a lot of mm-hmm. funds big funds um failing to pay mortgages on certain assets and um brookfield
1: yeah <clears clears coughs> well everybody right an, any
0: big name i think did it um and and it's all in like Vancouver, um not Vancouver um LA and uh, San Fran San Francisco yeah. so California's Miami kind
1: of, a little bit we've seen yeah. it there
0: so yeah so anyway i mean they rather than mirroring interest rates cap rates have re- remained stubborn especially for multifamily and industrial properties which we mentioned above um and according to this model that they use the potential capitalization model um, it's now changing due to the deceleration in price growth, continued interest rate increases, this higher for longer thing that's happening. And this is putting upward pressure on cap rates towards the end of the year last year. So while ca- while cap rates are um, cl- loosely correlated to, to interest rates and rapidly rising interest rates, would generally imply upward pressure on cap rates. The change in cap rates would typically be mitigated by rent growth prospects, local economic outlook, neighborhood supply and demand balances, as well as other factors for a specific property or investor, says the writer of this report, Mr. Gilbert.
1: Mr. Gilbert, thank you for that. Let's just look at a couple other macroeconomic factors that do affect cap rates. This is, again, I'm going to call them our friends. We'll see. Our friends from JP Morgan. My buddy JP. So interest rates aren't the only economic ele- element influencing cap rates. Other factors do include rent growth, for instance. Rent growth can accelerate during periods of higher inflation. Sound familiar? Particularly in apartments with short term leases. The anticipation of higher rents and greater NOI can offset higher interest rates. Likewise, deteriorating economic conditions can add to upward pressure on cap rate growth and slow rent growth. Through the second quarter of the 2020, of 2022, apartment and industrial rent growth has been strong, allowing cap rates to remain relatively stable in the face of rising interest rates. This is again from Mr. Gilbert. More recently, rent growth has slowed. It remains to be seen if the pause is temporary or the start of a reactionary trend to slowing down economic, slowing down the economy engineered by the Fed. And in our case, the Bank of Canada, we're recording this on May 31st. We have a Bank of Canada announcement on June 7th. So do you want to put a bet on whether or not they go up? Uh, They're going up you think so? Eh? How much yeah. then? I would agree. So how much do you think? Uh, 25 bibs? I'd say I'd say they have no choice to do 25. I I'd, I I'd, I'd it might be 50. Who knows? I'm hoping Ooh. for 25. Okay. I guess we'll see.
0: 50 would be scary. It would be um, Another economic factor that can weigh on cap rates is GDP or gross domestic product and unemployment. Um, interesting. I was at uh, that Go GoReal um, seminar. I, I took some really thorough notes. So I'll, I'll, maybe Great. we can do a whole episode on it. But um, uh, John Love from Kingset said something like, you know, one of the things that a lot of people dismiss with real estate is like, we house the economy, right? Like the economy exists within properties. And Ooh, I like really fa- that. Yeah. And so... You know, both GDP and unemployment would reflect the health of the economy. Um, and when, when GDP is high and unemployment is low, commercial real estate investors tend to have lower cap rates. Again, bull market, strong market, cap rate compression. When GDP is low and unemployment is rising, there's greater risk associated with it. You know, um, landlords don't need a lot of, or office tenants don't need a lot of space because they're laying people off or they're trying to cut costs. Um, and cap rates are typically forward-looking so this is important to remember and individual deals are affected by a building's unique prospects and an investors viewpoints as well as the prevailing economic conditions and outlook so where it transacts that the the rate at which it transacts because it'll sell it'll sell at a price and then it'll sell at a cap rate based on the NOI and that price um, that captures what the
1: investor thinks that the building is worth you know for the next 10 years yeah of course and And, you know, it wouldn't be real estate unless, of course, we talked about location, location, location. I don't know why. I just feel the need to say it three times every time I say location. Now, been in real estate for too long Um, proximity to the city's center, highways, public transit. Of course, those have an influence on cap rates. Those also should have an influence on why you're buying in that area. And you should know those things. Higher demand and stable locations generally have a lower cap rate, while transitional or outlying neighborhoods, secondary and tertiary markets have higher cap rates due to higher employment volatility and some fluctuating demand. This can lead to higher tenant turnover, leasing costs and other factors that impact operating cash flow, right? They impact your NOI. For sure. And then the last piece, which we've discussed among location
0: with the Collier's cap rate reports is the asset class cap rates vary across different asset classes, multifamily and industrial buildings usually have the lowest cap rates. Wasn't always like that. Actually industrial used to be hard to sell by comparison because you couldn't get rid of industrial in, in the nineties and early two thousands in Canada because everything was being offshored. Um, and, and so, and, you know, back then office was hot as an example or retail, um, the weight of several economic measurements can also vary based on asset class. So, you know, personal income is a major factor for multifamily properties. So, you know, you want to, if you're in a rich market, it might transact at a different cap rate than uh, you know a less wealth, wealthy um, median household income market. R- retail properties as well experience this phenomenon where you know you have these kind of upscale shopping centers versus more you know. Um, utilitarian shopping centers as an example and durable and non-durable goods spending like the money that people spend on these the things that the retailers sell in those retail um, areas is important for, for those um, retail properties but also for industrial properties that supply them
1: yeah great stuff dan okay i think that concludes our deep dive into cap rates and You know, this is an important episode because we talk about cap rates in a lot of our episodes, and we're going to talk about it right now in the deal of the day. We have got a Winnipeg triplex. So let's walk through this one, Dan. Yeah,
0: so Winnipeg is the capital of the Canadian province of Manitoba. The city is named after nearby Lake Winnipeg that comes from the name of the Western Cree words for muddy water. Known as the gateway to the West, Winnipeg is a railway and transportation hub with a diversified economy.
1: So let's look at some of the real estate history here. The average sale price in Winnipeg uh, in April 2023 was $377,000, representing an 8.1% year over year decrease, and that's 5% higher in March of 2023. Uh, we see some movement back and forth on detached, which has gone up Uh The average price of an attached home has decreased and the condo market has also decreased. And you can actually, the average condo price is $259,000. So pretty good. Dan, walk us through some of the rents here and then we'll dive right into the deal. Sure. So Winnipeg,
0: Manitoba rent prices as of May. The average rent for a one-bedroom apartment in Winnipeg is $1,200. This is a 10% increase compared to previous years. So remember when we were mentioning cap rates above and we're talking about how rent growth can contribute because it can create a greater NOI, which can offset higher interest rates or offset a higher price that you had to pay. When we talk about investors talking about stabilized cap rates, this is where a lot of this rent growth thing comes in. And if you're a skilled operator and you think you can realize that rent growth, then this matters to you. As of May 2023, the average rent for a two-bedroom apartment in Winnipeg is 1500 and the average rent for a three-bedroom apartment in Winnipeg is just under $1,900, which
1: is up 17% from the last year. Crazy. I feel like three bedrooms are, are such a scarcity you know, across all cities in, in, in the country, right? They they're always seem to be very highly priced.
0: No, it's an interesting point too. I mean, that's comparable to a house, like really at that point. And and we're hearing more and more policy wanting to... I mean, look, policymakers want density and families want affordability. And the only way that you can have those two things together is by having bigger units in density concepts. And so we're seeing more and more two-bedroom, three-bedroom units being proposed or being asked for by policymakers. Which is interesting because you're kind of moving to, and I talk about this all the time on the show, and it's finally coming. Like you're seeing it happen <laughs> in the policy side, moving towards this European housing model, where you know Canada has some of the biggest houses in the world, third biggest, I think, right? Did we do that on the show yet? I think we did, right? We like touched Australia. on it, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 we can maybe we'll do a, a bit of a segment on it, but that's going to start coming down. That's the next thing, and 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 so you're going to start seeing more families being comfortable raising kids in in apartments. And as we globalize as a country, you start to get the influence of other countries who have always lived that way, who for them it's like, why does everybody need a McMansion? There are you know, that's your that your demand curve
1: gradually becomes more and more comfortable with families living in apartments. Yeah, well said. Okay, so let's get back to the deal here. I'm gonna go through the description and and kind of, you know, talk a little bit about the condition of the property here, which uh I don't know, it's a nice way to say this, is hurting. Um, and then, Dan, why don't you, you... If you look at the price, you, it tells you everything you need to know about it, the condition. It kind of it does. does. Yeah. And wait till you see what I put in there for improvement costs, because it actually matches the price. So I, I'll do the description. Why don't you walk us through the, the first year and the long-term metrics here? Um, so this is a triplex. Now, instead of using $1,200, 1500 1900 as the rents, we're going to lower them and assume rents of basically $1,050, 1200 and 1600 because there is a one-bedroom, a two-bedroom, and a three-bedroom in here. So that is a rent total of $3,850, $3,850. Side note, that's basically the same price as a nice two-bedroom in Toronto or Vancouver. Um you can't see this, but take my word for it. This property needs a hell of a lot of work. Uh, it is three eight two Elgin Avenue in Winnipeg R three A zero K six. If you want to go check out the uh, MLS number, um, it is it. It needs a gut, I would say. So I uh, I put you, in you would gut this. I I wouldn't probably, but I'm a uh,
0: I, and and some yeah. I mean. Like, I just think like there is a market for affordable housing, right?
1: For sure. And, and, and maybe, maybe guts the wrong word. You know, this needs everything from new cabinets to window treatments to full new paint. Uh, I, I'd like to see some flooring change, new appliances. So you don't have to rip everything out here, but this needs, I, I'd say more than co- some cosmetic work. This needs some ex- extensive work. The good thing is all units are vacant so you could really possibly bring them up to market rents you could possibly get the the most however i just know that someone's going to look this up and email us being like that is one of the worst areas i've ever seen there's no way you're getting that market rent there we so that, just, that's we why we just didn't start. use
0: market rent <laughs> yeah we should just start by saying oh, this is in the worst area. And even if it's not, and then because nobody's going to come and be like, oh, this this isn't such a good area. How could you say that about my neighborhood? Right? (laughs) I don't think. So every property disclaimer that we mention on this show is always in the worst area, by the way, just to save you (laughs) the email that you're going to send us to 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 save us us of that. To save us too. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so metrics here, um, I see you put in what 200 K for improvement costs, right? Um, So it's going to bring your cash on cash down a lot because all that improvement cost is coming from cash because we don't have an exceptionally good purchase plus improvement lending program in this country. Although you and I are working on some really cool stuff in that space mm-hmm. um, where we have a, a private lender who is basically lending for people to build ADU. So if you're interested in in getting a loan to build an ADU, basically what it is is... You get you get the money to build the ADU, um, pays directly to, to the contractor and construction draws basically a construction loan, and then you take it out with bank debt after, uh, your you know your term loan or senior debt, um, mortgage you could call that from your big bank or or credit union B lender whatever you're with, um, and and so I think that space is going to start evolving a little bit because we like we get contacted, ev- like regularly. By lenders who want to put money out to help people build ADUs, just so you're aware. So if you're somebody who wants to build an ADU or wants to borrow money to build an ADU, and you're not, and this is not high leverage stuff. So don't approach us if you're at 80 plus percent loan to value already. Um, but if if you are, I would I would reach out because there's a lot of lenders who are do, who are interested in doing that kind of stuff and missing middle space especially a- ADUs and detached ADUs. Uh, but I digress, and we're running out of time. 12 percent cap rate 5.4% cash on cash return um because you have to put a bunch of cash out to do that um and you did that all on landlord.io very very quickly first year ROI is obviously negative because you're putting $200,000 out in reno's but i think if you could reconfigure this deal and assuming it's not in the worst area in Canada which somebody's going to email us <laughs> um, then, then you know, and you could you could do it a little bit more creatively, or maybe you're a contractor and you can bootstrap a lot of that work. You could make this a decent deal based on that that cap rate, right? For sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, do we want to read this quick review? So we are asked, still asking people for reviews. By the way, we appreciate. Please leave us a review. Please make it five stars. And a lot of people are like, oh, how do I leave a review on Spotify? You can't. You can only do it on Apple Podcasts. And I think there's another one, right? Is it Audible? We found Audible, like you one- can leave
1: a review. Yeah, that was like a, the one of the best reviews on Audible, yeah. Yeah.
0: But if you can't leave a review, we will settle for you just hitting the share button on Spotify and sending this episode to anyone, your mom, your friend, um, your I don't know, high school teacher, whatever. I don't even care. Just send it to somebody. <laughs> Please get us another listen. Because we said last episode you could... Give us a 100% increase if every listener sent this to, to somebody. So finish it off with a review here. Do you want to read this one, Nick? Five stars, fantastic Canadian content by Sunny D,
1: 753. Sunny D. Thank you, Sunny D. I recently discovered Dan and Nick's podcast and quickly found myself listening to it nearly every day on my commute. The content is relevant, informative, and in-depth when it comes to Canadian-focused investing. My wife and I have been interested in becoming real estate investors, and this podcast is helping us become more confident in starting that journey. Keep up the great work and content. We will do that for you, Sunny D, and we'll do it for all of you listeners. We appreciate everyone so much. Hope you got a ton of value out of this very important episode on cap rates. Like, share, subscribe, you know, all that good stuff. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Centre and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037.
0: Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate. A member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.